Today on episode number 355 of the Teaching in Higher Ed podcast, Coffee, Community, and Curriculum. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. I'm Bonnie Stahovia, and this is the space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share ways to improve our productivity approaches so we can have more peace in our lives and be even more present for our students. In today's episode, I'm showcasing some of the top takeaways and insights from a new online learning community called The Coffee Shop. This is a home brewed initiative. See what I did there? (laughs) Founded by five Florida faculty developers who came together out of a shared interest in building on and refining their instructional practices. In monthly sessions, they feature guests who present on a technique or tool or strategy that they're using in the classroom, as well as some advice on how to implement it. Today's guests are Jody Robeson, Director of the Institute for Academic Excellence at Indian River State College, Michelle Levine, District Director of Faculty Development at Broward College, and Barbara Rodriguez, who's Regional Director for Academic Programs at AQ. Today's guests were introduced to me through my partnership with the Association of College and University Educators, or AQ. And AQ's courses and community site feature many of teaching and learning's top experts, faculty developers, and practitioners. AQ's courses and community site feature many of teaching and learning's top experts, faculty developers, and practitioners. Jody, Barbara, and Michelle, welcome to Teaching in Higher Ed. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. The title of today's episode is Coffee community and curriculum. Let's get real about the coffee. Okay, which one of you actually is a coffee drinker among you? (laughs) So I acknowledge this is Barbara. I love coffee. I had six cups today. (laughs) All right. So we have one vivid coffee lover and the rest of us just join her in her appreciation, but are not actually coffee drinkers. But uh, we're just the spirit of coffee and what coffee brings about. I'm excited about today's conversation. We are looking at what happens with learning, or I should say what happened in your cases with learning, when a formal program ends, like the one that you participated in through AQ, and how to extend that learning, how to share it with others, how to wrestle it. I always think it's so interesting with something like teaching. We talk about at the beginning of every episode that teaching is both an art and a science. And if you really believe that, you know that it's not about reading a book, (laughs) taking a class. So I want to hear before we go into talking about some specific approaches that we can use as educators, I'd just love to hear a little bit from you one way that you approach your own lifelong learning. Jody, would you tell us what your, and again, I know there's many ways, but what is one way that you approach your lifelong learning? Yeah, I love to go ahead and um, keep my finger on the pulse through um, books and reading different books as it relates to best practices with teaching. 
Yes, excellent. I am also a reader, although I feel like sometimes I have to put that in past tense. I go in spurts, you know, (laughs) you really kind of have to discipline yourself a little bit to do that. Do you have any technique that you use to keep getting your nose back in the books? Um, Yes, I I offer regular book clubs and we're always switching up our books. So I definitely need to keep my finger on the pulse. Book clubs make such a difference. We have one. Well, I mean, we'll we'll run a few at my institution as well. And I'll tell you what, having a podcast where you're going to interview an author, another way (laughs) to keep your nose in the book. All right, Barbara, how about you? What's one way that you approach your, your lifelong learning? So I acknowledge after the dissertation, I don't read as much as I should. So I do podcasts and Bonnie, yours is one of the ones I listen to. I do fitness podcasts, teach and learning podcasts, any type of podcast. I'm always listening. I love them. Do you mind sharing what app you use to listen to podcasts? Spotify is where I I listen to my podcasts. That seems to be a real growing audience. I remember early on as Spotify was just getting into podcasting, we had to kind of go through a little bit of a rigmarole to to get ourselves set up there. But now it's just seamless and so nice to be able to extend it out to that audience. Are you also a music lover? I am. I love music and all types of genres. So I just have like a list of my favorite songs that I listen to through Spotify. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. So you've got one go-to. One go-to. You got your music, you got your podcast all in one place. That's so great. Exactly. And Michelle, how about for you? What's one way that you approach your lifelong learning? Yeah. So I also love to read and listen to podcasts, but actually what's been a game changer for me is Audible because I often, well, for one thing, my eyesight is going, one of the benefits of getting older. Um, but also I have three small children and they, they don't always allow me to just sit and enjoy some reading. So any chance that I have, whether I'm taking a walk or driving in my car, I'm able to listen to Audible. And it's been a, a game changer for me in terms of professional development, personal development, and just downtime. I have that eyesight thing too, where as I have aged, (laughs) bumping up the font size and all of that. Isn't it great that we can? Yeah. I mean, it's one of the things I, I really do have to go back. This would be such a simple experiment for me to do. I'm convinced at this point that the publishers have shrunk down the font sizes since I was reading books, but I should really go gauge and see if that's actually accurate or not, because I get a, I mean, it's so generous. The publishers will send me books that I didn't ask for, but are like Christmas, you know, 12, 12 months a year kind of thing. And I though kind of go, Oh, gosh, I'm gonna have to get that magnifying glass app out of my phone to be able to read this. So I do love the digital options to be able to bump it up and then things like audible. So here's my question, though, Michelle, would you express to me I read this book, if you listened to it on audible, would you express it that way? Oh, it's funny that you say that. So a lot of times I will catch myself. So I will start out by saying, oh, I read such and such, but then I will change it over to I listen to. And actually, I I find sometimes that it is a, a much richer experience listening to it if it's the author themselves who's telling the story. Yeah. Oh, but isn't that so powerful? I always want to know that, too that there was a really good book that's been recommended by me and by many others on the podcast called Thick by Tressie McMillan Cottom. And I read it first, and then someone else recommended it on the show who had listened to it on Audible. And I said, 
Is it her reading it? <laughs> I wanted to just go back and she said it really is. So many of the times when you can actually hear the author read their own words. And I, I don't get as excited. I don't really listen to a lot of audiobooks, but I don't generally get as excited about listening to them if it's not going to be the author themselves. I realize there's exceptions to that, but yeah, it's really cool when you can hear them read their own words. Yes, for sure. There is one book that I don't believe is the author that it's called Tearsy and it's phenomenal. And I love the person who narrates. Her, her voice is just absolutely beautiful. Well, I know there's some cases where they'll even take on the characters and the accents, exactly. everything. Yeah, that's really cool. All right. So we are here today to talk about three approaches, but there are so many more that we could go learn more about if we get inspired by today's episode that came out of something called the coffee shop. Jody, could you tell us a little bit about the coffee shop? Yeah. So, um, my background is elementary education. So I come out of this teaching background and um, I just feel that in the field of education in general, that we kind of work in our silos. And I thought after this experience with AQ, there were so many great perspectives shared and feedback in these communities that you had when you did these cohorts that I wanted to continue that conversation. And I, I kept trying to figure out how can I do this? How can I get people to come across from different disciplines? And then all of a sudden I had this aha moment over the summer. And I reached out to Barbara Rodriguez with AQ and I said, oh, you know, could you connect me with some other folks in the state of Florida that have also partnered with AQ? And can we come together to create this opportunity? Because I feel strongly that I think we do things great on our own, but I think we're better together. And I think this is a great opportunity to work smarter, not harder. So she jumped right on it. And I have to say that I reached out to, there's five of us. There's Barbara Rodriguez with AQ, who has really been a strong support. Michelle and myself, and then we have Dr. Brandon McIntyre. He's director of e-learning at Florida Gateway College. And we have Margaret Shippey, and she is the director of faculty development and classroom engagement at Miami-Dade College. And then we have Steve Grostefan, who is a professor of mathematics at Santa Fe College. And I reached out to these guys on a Saturday about this idea of coming together to support each other, but also um, faculty across the state. And they jumped on it right away. So we had this idea and we just th thought it would be great to work together to provide these opportunities to our faculty. And we started with just our institutions, but we've opened it up to anyone throughout the country to go ahead and join us. And it's been a great opportunity, I think, for all of us to, to bounce ideas off of each other. We are going to be talking about three approaches today. But I also just want to remind what Jody just said. There's a whole library of approaches. So if you like the three techniques that you hear, we're going to have links for you in the show notes to go have access to a lot more. Jody, let's begin with entrance tickets. Could you tell us what they are and how we might go about using them in our teaching? Yes. Yeah, so this was a presentation that was provided by Professor um, Damaris Alvarez, and she put her own twist on the exit ticket. And instead of the exit and the end of the class, she put this twist on it to do this entrance ticket. And what I really love about it is she's got a finger on the pulse of her students at the start of the semester. So one of the things that Damaris Alvarez shares with her session is that in talking with faculty members, they recognize halfway through the semester that students aren't going to be successful. And at this point, it's too late. 
she shared with us a faculty member that's a math instructor and her students did not have the funds to purchase a graphing calculator. And now at this point, there's nothing they can do to go ahead and really support that student as best as possible. So it really is important to go ahead and find out early on in the semester, what is it that our students need in order to be successful? Maybe a twist to go ahead and check at that midway point is to maybe add, and this would be my own little version of twisting this exit ticket to the entrance ticket, to now adding like an intermission ticket and checking, you know, has anything changed with our students? And is there some other need that they might have to help them to be successful in the class at this point in time? We have a little clip here and she talks about how she sets it up and a little bit of what I just shared. So how have I implemented this ticket and how can you implement it? So currently, because I'm doing virtual learning, I'm synchronous. In other words, again, I meet with my students via either Zoom, Blackboard, whatever platform that we use. I have created an assignment on the learning platform. And this is how I put my ticket for the assignment. I say, please write down three things that would help you be successful in the course. Please note that it can be anything. This can include childcare. Let's say you cannot come to class because you have a child. So let me know that's the case. It can be not being able to purchase the book. Please be honest and make sure that it's something that you truly need. And keep in mind that other students cannot see your entry ticket. This is between you and me. Again, that privacy is so important. Thank you so much, Jody, for sharing about entrance tickets and for sharing that clip with us. Our next approach is physical and mental attendance. Michelle, what can you tell us about the importance of physical and mental attendance and a little bit about how it's thought of in the next clip that we're going to be sharing? So this clip is actually um, from Professor Marie Trodick from Santa Fe College, and her approach is giving what she calls attendance assessments. And these attendance assessments are intended to ensure, as you said, both physical and mental attendance. So, you know, this has been a particular issue, especially since we've gone remote. So a lot of times, and I know I experienced this personally, we'll be on a Zoom session. Our students are there in our gallery view, but they're not sharing their camera. And there's no way to really know that they are physically attending, much less mentally attending. So what she does is she gives these attendance assessments right after each class. They're based directly on the lecture. So she'll prepare about 70% of it ahead of time. And then maybe three questions out of the 10 will be specific to the content that was presented in that particular lesson. And what she found is that it's really helped with having students share their cameras, sense of belonging, having them really attend both physically and mentally. They're there with her and she's really seen a difference in the engagement from her students from these attendance assessments. And now we're going to share a clip from the coffee shop. The assessments include 10 questions and they're in the format of multiple choice, essay, fill in the blank, true, false, matching. And they're not timed again and the students are permitted to use resources. Again, the resources can include the recorded mini lectures, links provided during class if they wrote this information down. I don't provide it within the assessments. I use eBooks so they can use their eBook research and other sources. Again, the, the focus is on several questions that cannot be researched, what our discussion actually entailed. 
And then students can take these assessments twice with their highest score recorded for their grade. And they do accumulate to 5% of their grade. So achieving this mental attendance, it's, it's challenging and it's critical in all classes, but it's especially difficult to achieve this mental attendance in the hybrid learning environment. Oh, it was so good to hear from Marie. Michelle, thanks for sharing that clip and sharing a little bit about physical and mental attendance. One thing I'm finding is we just tend to think about that this only happens in online classes. And with all the emergency remote teaching that's been going on, this is present in any space where learning is taking place. And so what a great way that we can think about approaching this. All right, our last technique, something tangible that people can take away. Barbara is going to tell us a little bit about, and this one is in the area of video assessments. So our barista is Emily Rentschler, and this video clip resonated with me because I teach online, have been teaching online for, I don't want to disclose how long it's been. So even before the pandemic, And I do discussion boards and had issues with the engagement and had worked on a rubric to improve that. And what I also noticed was reading all the text sometimes is just draining, not only for me as the faculty member, but the students. So Emily did this video assessment. So she talks about how she allows students to use videos in lieu of text Because in her assignment, she would say to students, I want you to post X number of words. And students struggled. So she said, what if I allowed them to post video in lieu of text? And so she goes through in this clip about how she uses the video assessment and how she's realized when she sees the transcript, because she has the students upload to YouTube, that she's done the word count and they're exceeding the word count that they would have normally had and how that's become more interactive in the discussion based on the video. So it just, for me, still as a faculty member, let me know that there are other ways to use the video versus like the introduction when you start the class, because I use Flipgrid and I've tried to be more dynamic, but it's really nice to see her do this assessment piece with the video. And what I also like about this clip is she talks through some things about the accessibility and what if students can't hear or with their technology issues. So she, she accommodates for that. And that's what we really need to do when we have students who may not be able to have the technology for the video or don't want to show their, their pictures and things like that. So let's watch this short clip. So this semester, I reworked this to include a video component. And what I asked the students to do was I asked them to actually have their book with them. And so they just made a quick video and everything that they would have said in the discussion board, they shared. So they were actually able to open their book and share that, you know, X, Y, Z is the good criteria. Here's where I found it in my book. And what I noticed is when I downloaded their transcripts of what they had said in their video post, I had a thousand words, 2000 words, which is much more in depth than anything I used to get in the discussion boards. And it was a lot more fun to grade. And I actually felt their passion when they were talking about these books. Thank you for introducing us to Emily. And I am really struck that not only can we use it in contexts like she described, but also just this idea that 
when we give people other ways to communicate, it can help with fully utilizing the communication model. So you think about there's always a sender and the receiver and some encoding has to take place in all of this. And if what I'm being asked to do, I'm thinking of a recent situation working with a doctoral student who just wasn't comfortable with academic writing. You know, you get people, they haven't maybe done that style of academic writing perhaps ever, or perhaps it's been more than a decade or, or even longer than that. And I was trying to help him see that if you just try to go from academic writing and to academic writing, sometimes you're missing that communication model that can take place. You have to do that encoding, which to me, I was suggesting, make it casual, make it informal. Because he said, oh, I just feel so much comfortable writing conversational. I said, great, start with that. <laughs> Even if you want to speak it out loud, and that's going to help you transit. Because I think sometimes we get so intimidated, we think we have to write this fancy, fancy stuff, and then speak the fancy, fancy, read the fancy, fancy stuff, and not realizing that actually, you know, so many of us do the teach it to me or tell it to me like I'm an eight-year-old. And I just think that's such a good way to tell if someone, including myself, really understands something. I, our kids are still pretty young, though their vocabularies continue to just astound me. But, you know, they'll ask me, what does a word mean? And, oh, my gosh, some of them just stump me to no end. <laughs> like, how do you explain that word? And I just think it's such a good thing for us to be connecting with that beginner's mind and also giving learners other alternatives for communicating what they're learning. And that's such a great example. I think so, too. I also love how she talks about how their personalities come out in the videos. So true. So true. And that's that way to create more, more of that sense of connection, which is just so essential. This is the time in the show where we each get to share our recommendations. And my recommendation is I suggest that everyone go visit the Coffee Shop YouTube channel. And we're going to have a link to it in the show notes. And I will admit, I had to be careful. <laughs> I wanted to watch every single one. They're just really rich ways to continue to pursue our own learning about teaching. And I just thank each one of you for your contributions to making this possible and the ways in which you've shared it in such public ways. So that is my recommendation for today. I'm going to pass it over to Jody for yours. Thanks, Bonnie. We we definitely appreciate you recommending the coffee shop and we're moving to hopefully espresso shot. So we'll have that later too. But my recommendation is I, I really encourage folks to go ahead. And if you're a faculty developer to reach out to somebody at another institution and see how you can partner up and support each other and support the faculty at your institution with some type of cross collaboration. I think it's a great way to go ahead and just tap into individuals at other institutions. Thank you. How about you, Barbara? What do you have to recommend today? So instead of a podcast, I'm just going to share. I binge watched Jenny and, and Georgia on Netflix. So I'm going to recommend that for anyone wanting fluff and not wanting to use your brain, just need a downtime. <laughs> Watch that. It's very cute and delightful. Barbara, I love shows like that for just to take us away, you know, <laughs> you know, that commercial, some of you might not remember this, but I certainly did the Calgon take me yes. away. Yes. Am I saying it right? But I was never, yes. I was never like a Calgon take me away person. I'm a like Netflix take me away kind of person. So <laughs> that's perfect. Thank you so much. I'm not familiar with that one. So I'll have to check it out. What can you give us? I guess you, uh, can you give us a little snippet without giving too much away? 
Sure. It is just a single mom trying to make the best with two kids. And one's a teenager going through the struggles of teenagehood. Oh, it sounds so good. So good. All right, Michelle, how about what do you have to recommend for us today? Well, I said that I'm an Audible fan, so I am going to recommend an excellent book that I just listened to on Audible recently. That's actually our college read. I listened to it before I even knew it was our college read, so I'm excited to start having conversations with other people about this book. It's called Born a Crime. It's written by Trevor Noah, and he grew up in pre- and post-apartheid in South Africa, and it's his experience as a biracial boy growing up and then becoming a teenager. and He's a comedian, just so you know. So it's heavy material, but there's also so many funny parts. So I've never laughed and cried so much simultaneously back and forth, but it's just excellent. And am I safe to assume he reads his own book in this case? He does. He does. And that's where I feel like it's such a better experience. So I'm recommending not just the book, but to listen to it on Audible. Oh, well, I have seen that book so many times. And, and... I, I think that would be one that I really would enjoy to download on Audible. It scares me a little bit, though, because I'm so far behind on podcasts. My phone, in fact, this morning said, you sure you really want to download all these to your phone? Because <laughs> this collectively is taking up so much room. They they erase off my phone after I've listened to them. So that just shows you the, the queue is getting even more full. I've never gotten that error message before. So that's not a good sign. <laughs> but but it really does sound so good. Thanks to all three of you for your recommendations. Jody for inspiring us to reach out to other collaborators. Barbara for Ginny and Georgia. And that recommendation, I tell you, I gotta I gotta get in there because I need I need something to fill the gap of when I just finished up a show and this will kind of be a good one. And then Michelle, born a crime read by Trevor Noah on Audible. And thanks to again to all three of you just for your contributions. And I'm excited because I have mo- even more exploration I can do on the coffee shop and just inviting other people to do the same. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you so much, Bonnie. And it has been such an absolute pleasure working with this team and coming together. It's really helped us as faculty developers engage ourselves in a sense of belonging with each other. And I'm just so glad that you're able to model some of the teaching practices that you've learned in the course through the coffee shop. Yeah, it, it has been a fabulous opportunity to be able to collaborate with um, faculty developers across the state and support me and all of us with what we're doing with faculty. Thanks once again to Jody Robeson, Michelle Levine, and Barbara Rodriguez for joining me for today's episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. I love that I get to be a part of your coffee shop, even though I don't drink coffee and want to once again encourage everyone to head on over and check out that resource. Thanks to all of you for listening to Teaching in Higher Ed. And if you have yet to sign up for our weekly update, it was revised in January. I'm getting lots of compliments on it being an even more helpful resource. Head on over to teachinginhighered.com slash subscribe. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time on Teaching in Higher Ed.